It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hello. So we've decided that with circumstances being what they are, when it's appropriate, we'll release extra episodes. The issues around coronavirus develop very quickly and to try and keep up with and reflect that if there are ideas out there to help, we want to make sure that we're telling you about them as quickly as possible. And that's what we're doing on this extra episode, talking about what can be done for the self-employed and workers in the gig economy. Yeah, and we're going to be talking to... Torsten Bell from the Resolution Foundation and Ellie Mayo Hagen, a freelance journalist who's been writing about the plight of self-employed people. I'll tell you, it's certainly something that I'm seeing from a lot of my constituency correspondents, just a big range of people uh, in self-employment who are basically have no work. Um, They're now trying to get onto universal credit. Sometimes they're finding there's delays with that. Uh, but they're in just a really, you know, seriously very difficult situation. As are, as we'll talk about, um, some people who were who were employed workers as well. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Now to discuss where we are in terms of economic support for the self-employed and other groups, and what more needs to be done. I'd like to say we're joined by Torsten Bell and Ellie Mayo Hagen. Torsten, remind us what support the government did announce last week and the key groups that the Resolution Foundation believes have been overlooked. So last Friday, the government set out really very significant moves, unprecedented moves in the UK to underwrite the wages of employees in struggling firms for up to 80% of their previous wages. They were able to do that because it's relatively straightforward. And I say relatively because it's obviously actually very difficult, but relatively straightforward because we have the data on their PAYE. So we know how much people have previously been paid. And then the government is then setting up a scheme so that firms can apply to the government for 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 those wages to be covered. What the government has been wrestling with since then is that there are gaps in people who are not covered by that. The focus of that in the public debate has been on the self-employed, understandably, but there are actually two other groups that we should highlight. One is that lots of people are still going to lose their jobs who are employees. Not everybody is going to have their job saved by this retention scheme. And the second thing is that people who are having their hours cut won't receive income compensation from the scheme, only those who have their hours reduced to zero. And that is a significant problem. So our view is that the government should address all three of those gaps in their package they announced tomorrow. Ellie, you've been speaking to self-employed people who've been affected. Um, Can you give us a picture of some of the stories you've heard? I wish I had good news, but it's just absolutely bleak. Um, The first person that I spoke to was actually a friend of mine who lost 100% of his income two weeks ago and feels that his career is basically over and is now looking into uh, universal credit. Um, And that really uh, has been repeated over and over again with every self-employed person I've spoken to. I don't think there's a single person um, that I can recall. I've spoken to about 15 people. I've been collecting case studies. 
what's the range of occupations of the people you've been talking to? A lot of people working in the arts for one. So, I mean, these are people who, you know, um, we of course, we're used to hearing um, stories about uh, occupations like being a delivery driver or being an Uber driver, you know, these being very precarious, insecure forms of work. And there's been, rightfully, there's been a lot of campaigning around um, trying to improve conditions for those people. But what I've been seeing is something really different. You know, these are people who are um, working for very prestigious organisations who are, you know, doing kind of award-winning arts work on the one hand. And then you also have people who are working in seasonal occupations, um, who, of course, were just gearing up to for the summer months and will have spent lots of money on stock and equipment and now everything's just been completely decimated but really I mean I I struggle to think of a single sector of society that hasn't really been covered by this because every sector of society relies on self-employed people and from obviously like anecdotes aren't the same as data but everybody I've spoken to it has been a case of their entire income has been has just gone in the space of 72 hours, if that. And, and do you get the sense that's why some people aren't uh, social distancing and self-isolating? We've all seen the pictures of the crammed tube carriages on social media and, and in the news. Do you, do you think there's some people who are so afraid of losing income that they're still sort of forcing themselves out in, into sort of dangerous situations, really? A hundred percent. And I think uh, one particularly um, salient example of that is tradespeople. Lots of tradespeople are self-employed and the government guidance has been very unclear about um, what tradespeople are and aren't allowed to do. So obviously working on building sites has been, um, that is allowed apparently as long as social distancing is observed which I feel is quite unrealistic to expect social distancing in those occupations and but then you know working in people's homes and presumably that's not okay but if you um if you rely on the income that you get from working people's homes to live then you're not just going to stop doing it because you're going to be destitute so absolutely it's a case of necessity for these people and I'm sure I feel confident that everybody I've spoken to would stop working immediately if they felt that it wouldn't um, cause them really serious problems financially. Not a single person I spoke to um, was flippant about uh, coronavirus. In fact, one person I spoke to um, lost their entire income within the space of about six or seven hours and then had to reorientate their entire business um, so that it could be done online in order to save their income and save their employees' income and their self-employed workers' incomes while they had coronavirus and was hallucinating from having such a high fever. So there's no way that these are people who are not taking it seriously or just thinking that they'd like to make a few quid. These are people who have been forced into this situation by a lack of support. Torsten, tell us, because you, you and Ellie have set out in different ways the gaps that there are, Give us a sense of, in 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 as simple terms as you can uh, tell us, what you think the key solutions are. We're expecting an announcement from the Chancellor, uh, at least around the self-employed, but but obviously your recommendations go wider than that. Give us a sense of, of the main things you're proposing. 
obviously the, the thing to understand what we're seeing here that's very different to what we saw in the financial crisis is a very short and very deep shock to uh, employment because we are closing down whole sectors of our economy. So we're seeing large rises in unemployment, both from the self-employed and from employees. What we need to do is to make sure that we are cushioning people's incomes during that phase because we're asking them uh, to do that so that we can save lives, but we also need to show that we can save a good proportion of their income while we do it. So the things we think we should do are, one, we need to make sure that the social security safety net offers more support for people coming onto it who possibly do have some savings and therefore aren't getting, because of the means testing within universal credit, aren't getting support. So we should switch off means testing of people, new claims onto universal credit where they have significant savings. That will mean that more people will get some support, as Ellie says, when their income falls to zero. We should then also look at adding a a coronavirus compensation scheme alongside the retention scheme the Chancellor announced on Friday, and that is to enable both the self-employed having their work dry up and the employees who will still lose their jobs to claim back a proportion of the lost income that they've suffered. And then within the existing retention scheme that the government has set out, we need to include compensation for people whose hours are being cut, not just those who have zero hours. And that is, the reason that is important is because we want workers that can carry on doing some hours work to do that, not to feel like they need to stop working totally so that they can get the 80% uh, compensation, because it is really important. What we're doing here is collectivising the economic hit from this crisis through these schemes, taking the, the hit onto the government's borrowing figures and to our debt that we can all pay back later, rather than leaving families to deal with it on their own. But we do also need to make sure that hit is no bigger than it needs to be. And just on the self-employed, you're recommending something like what the Norwegians have announced, which is an average, I think in Norway's case, you get 80% of uh, the the average of what you've received as a self-employed person over the last three years, 80% of your income. Is that is that broadly what you're recommending? Yes, I think that's, you basically have got two options here. You can either take the Irish approach, which is to go for a flat rate payment, in the Irish case of a few hundred Um, euros a week to everybody that's self-employed and say, look, that is just the money we provide to get people through this coronavirus period. It it is preferable if we can to try and do that as a percentage of people's previous earnings so that people are secure that they're not going to see big falls, although it is important probably to have a minimum payment and also a cap so we don't have very large uh, payments being made. That's the method we would prefer. That is more similar to the Norwegian approach that you mentioned. And we could do that by looking at what people's Uh, incomes they've reported on their tax returns over the last few years are averaging that and then compensating them up to that level of lost income. Just in terms of getting the money out of the door, one of the things that the Chancellor has said is he hopes, I think, to get the employment scheme, the the scheme for the employed people or people who've been laid off but were employees up and running in April, but, but he's worried about how quickly this can be done. I think lots of people will be sort of wondering, uh, we'll we'll be frustrated by the practicalities of this. I mean, they're real, are they? Yes, I mean, we should all be frustrated about it. And one of the big lessons for those of us that were involved back in the 2008-2010 crisis and now watching this one happen again is that we do not, in the good times, put in place the systems that help us quickly get help to people in the bad times. That was definitely true in the financial crisis. We didn't have the payment mechanisms available to us to help us support families in the way we wanted to then. And we have not, over the last 10 years, made that any easier, which is why we are now finding it so hard to make these payments happen. But they are real. The only thing I would say is that is that government has has got to prioritise over the 
the next few weeks. So the most important thing is to get the retention scheme that they announced last Friday up and running and actually delivering payments to firms. And the reason for that is because we've got to stop unemployment going up any further. We need firms to know that system's working so they don't lay off more hundreds of thousands of people. Subject to having capacity to do that, then delivering this compensation scheme that we're talking about for the self-employed uh, and for those losing their jobs needs could ideally be run alongside it, so on the same kind of timeline for the end of April. But as I say, the retention scheme has got to be in place first because that is what is going to determine the depth of this recession. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter suggesting some form of, albeit temporary, universal basic income. Is is that something you think is, well, Torsten, you think it's a good idea, and Ellie, is that something you've sent so much appetite for? It's not a good idea for a whole range of reasons. One, because we haven't got a system... Uh, in place to do that if it really means to everybody i.e. to people who are still actually working and drawing an income the, 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 there are other approaches which are offering a UBI for a, of a flat payment like the Irish scheme just to everybody who has had their income hit I think that is a perfectly legitimate option to want to go for um, if you think it's just too complicated to try and work out how much people's income has fallen but as I say I think we can do a better job um, than that but the reason in general why we shouldn't go for big whole new schemes that are is that we need to do this at pace and also giving me money now when i can carry on working for the resolution foundation at home shouldn't be the priority for the state it should be helping those who need money now i think the universal basic income is really the only solution to this and the reason for that first of all um the autonomy think tank released a paper um this week explaining how that could be done and it said that around nine in 10 people in this country bank with the same six banks. So the government could work directly with those banks to start putting payments in people's accounts immediately. And, there, and I think that is really the key here is that we can't wait until April to do this. We can't wait any longer because people have already lost their incomes and they have an immediate cash flow problem. And bills are continuing to come into their households and come into their businesses that they simply cannot pay. And the government's um, offer towards renters has been absolutely derisory. So many of these people have been experiencing a double hit of losing 100% of their incomes and also facing the threat of eviction with landlords that, despite the government's guidance, are being incredibly discompassionate and are threatening to evict their tenants. So I think that um, we haven't got time to means test. We just need to get this out there, um, what that means for future government finances. There are absolutely ways of um, getting back income in the next tax year that will have been spent this year on providing universal basic income. The most important thing now is to get the money to the people that need it immediately. And if that means that some people temporarily have more money than they need, that's absolutely fine because the alternative is 5 million people being at risk of destitution. And that is absolutely intolerable. And that, to me, is why we just need to do this immediately and it needs to be um, efficient and it needs to be universal. And it really needs to happen today. It should have happened two weeks ago, but... You know, it needs to happen today because otherwise there's going to be a lot of people in terrible, terrible situations in this country. And that is obviously completely right. We need immediate action to deal with the crisis. And, as, and, and I agree, actually, I think the situation in terms of people seeing their incomes fall and needing to claim benefits today is, is very, very serious, much more serious than during the financial crisis. So getting money paid quickly 
is absolutely crucial, but that will still take um, processing. And I think setting up a new system to do it through the banks is not quicker than making the systems we have now work and making sure money goes to those people that need it has, as Ellie says, got to be the absolute priority. And the way to do that is to pay money to those people, not to pay it to everybody. So we, we're we obviously in a crisis at the moment. Uh, lots of people are facing incredibly difficult times. But really, as both of you have implied, this highlights a sort of much deeper problem. I mean, I mean in a way... What what we what we've what has been shown is the is the massive holes in the safety net. What what do you think the lessons are for the future? And I know it's hard to look beyond the crisis, but there will be a moment when we do get beyond this. What do you think the lessons are for the future, Torsten? That is definitely. I mean, what what, ha- what is happening here is a lot of people um, for the first time ha- looking at being reliant on the existing safety net and saying, I can't possibly live on £95 a week. They are both right to say that, but it also reflects a lack of people's understanding that lots of people have been living on £73 a week, which was the level of the safety net until the increases that happened last week. So Britain has a very, very mean uh, safety net system by international standards, and it is, you know, it is not what people can live on in most Circumstances. So I think as we step back from this crisis, as and when we get there, we're not going to be still be in the business of guaranteeing 80% of the wages of people in struggling firms in normal times. But hopefully we will be in the business of saying we're going to have a safety net that is fit for purpose, that is helps us avoid having rising child poverty, but also offers people temporary protection when they have hard times in their lives, when they lose their jobs or when their self-employed earnings dry up. I think for me, the main mess, the main thing that I, I hope people learn from this crisis, and I think what it's really exposed, is that we are all connected. Um, my health is only as good as my neighbour's health, um, and my uh, my livelihood um, completely depends on the livelihood of everybody else. Um, and I think it also demonstrates that any one of us at any time could be exposed to poverty um and so therefore you know i agree with torsten we need a much more robust safety net um, we need to understand that um benefit systems and public services are there for all of us they're not just there for the most vulnerable they're there for all of us and we're all most people in this country um it, it doesn't take many things for us to be at risk of ill health and poverty so i hope that what we've learned from this crisis is that we're all connected to one another. We all rely on each other and we all need public services and a safety net. Now, while the government has announced support, at least for people uh, who were uh, employees, the figures that have come out today say that 477,000 people in the UK have applied for universal credit in the last nine days, which is nearly eight times the usual um, rate. Torsten, why is this happening? Is it because firms are ignoring the support? Is it because the support isn't flowing yet, as we've discussed? What's the reason and what can be done about it? What we are seeing is the very employment-focused damage from this crisis, which has not been the same in previous crises, which is that the, the hit from social distancing to our economic activity is focused on big employing sectors like retail and hospitality. And the firms have responded very quickly to the depth of that hit by laying off staff. And although the retention scheme 
uh, that the government announced is very welcome and should help to reduce in time the increase in unemployment. There will still be firms going bust. There'll be firms that don't want to engage with that process that think this is just the end of the line for them. And so we do need to have a system that provides a safety net for people losing their jobs, not just pretending to ourselves that we're going to be able to make sure everybody keeps their job. And we're also seeing um, big onflows onto universal credit of people from self-employment who aren't currently covered by that retention scheme. Now, even if the government comes along tomorrow and is able to offer more compensation to people Uh, who are self-employed for lost income, then it still makes sense for them to claim universal credit in the short term so they can get some money in their pockets while we wait for that compensation scheme to be set up. Torsten Bell, Elima O'Hagan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. So what did you think then? Well, I think there's two issues. I think there's getting in place the support for all the different groups, including the self-employed, you know, people whose hours have been cut. This is a big problem that Torsten Bell raised, you know, that not just people who've been laid off completely, but people who've had a big hit in terms of their hours. And and there's lots of different p- workers in different categories, I think some of them which we probably didn't discuss, who are also affected. So that's one thing. But then once the money's been announced, it's getting it out of the door. And, you know, I mean, whatever you think about the, the downsides of a UBI, the problem with that is it seems that would also require new processes. But I, I, if I was in government and even outside government now as a constituency MP, I think one worrying me as much as the question of the support, or almost as much, is getting the money out to people to tide them over. All right, we, we will just say that we'll probably end up doing a few of these extra episodes. Um, obviously, with the times we're living through, events uh, can, can mean things change very, very quickly, and we'll try and react to those as much as we can. So do keep an eye out for these extra episodes, and otherwise we will be back with a regular Reasons to be Cheerful on Monday. Listener.